This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Robinson, under pressure, buys time, throws, and caught for the two-point conversion. John Mitchell. What a throw. Welcome back to Prospects 101. Again, this is the show where we break down football prospects from all levels. Talking high school, talking college transfers, we're talking college recruiting, talking the NFL draft and NFL prospects. And as always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partners and big supporters of the show, Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. Now remember, you can interact with Prospects 101 on social media. That's at Prospects 101 Pod on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram. Again, follow us there. We're always releasing great content. It's a, it's a great way to stay in touch with the show. And when we release new episodes, it always hits those social media platforms first. Uh, so great way to also interact with us. Everybody loves talking football. And now that 2020 college football season is very, very close to being upon us, you know, releasing a lot of great content coming out in the future. So make sure that's at Prospects 101 Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, guys, the Prospects 101 group is now back together. <laughs> yeah. Last couple show, last couple shows, it's been a two-man show. But as always, I'm joined by my first coach, who is gracious enough to take time out of his busy schedule because this man has sold his house and he is moving to Charleston, South Carolina, and that's Brandon Pastel. I'm trying to get out of the uh, Savannah area to go to Charleston. I'll tell you one thing, though, guys. I've always had the Army move me from location to location. This is the first time that I've had to move myself. It is by far the worst thing I've ever had to do. Lexi, my, my girlfriend, gets so upset with me because I just throw stuff into the, the pod. And she's like, no, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. you got to do it right or you're not going to have enough space. And she's right. I completely ran out of space very quickly doing it my way. So oh, man, not that's a fan a, of moving. That, that's what? a rookie mistake. As a guy who has moved... A significant, probably close to yearly in my after college, well, even in college, um, I hate moving. And I got movers this last time, Pastel, and it completely changed my outlook on moving. If I ever move again, hiring movers, it is so worth it. Oh, I can't tell you. It is the way to go. 
So uh, that's my first co-host. Now I'm uh, also joined by our second co-host that rounds out the Prospects 101 group. And he's actually the first member of our group that can actually and will go to a live sporting event on July 15th. And that's Kenny Keller. Yes, July 15th, the NASCAR All-Star Race in Bristol. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. They're allowing 30,000 fans in. And for everybody who doesn't know, that place holds like 150,000 people. So it's like 15, 16% capacity. So how's that going to work? Are you going to be like spread out? Are are you going to have to wear a mask? Well, so no, they didn't. It actually says they're not requiring you to wear a mask, though I I would wear one. I don't know exactly how the signed seating is going to go because it's just general. But I think I'm assuming they're probably just going to send because it's delayed sending the tickets to my email so it had they haven't actually come in yet so i think it'll be they send you a like a they'll probably arrange all the seats once they finalize all the sales to get it to where like everybody's spread out so you're going to be like standing there you'll be like six feet apart from everyone you want to like high five someone but you won't be able to high five them because you're six feet away thumbs up man thumbs just give up. a thumbs yeah. up give an air five no it should be fun though man i'm excited so sports are kicking back in and and fans are starting to show up and it's gonna be good well i think that's a great segue into what we're going to talk about tonight again we we have a, a great show for college football fans out here and actually going to introduce this new series and as you know, we've spoken about another podcast here. Us three are extremely excited about the news of kids starting to come on campus, working out as a team, right? And that just tells us that the 2020 college football season is very close to being upon us and something that a lot of us didn't think was possible when all this stuff started to come out in March. So in honor of that, and and we've kind of spaced everything out to – really lead up to the opening weekend of college football, we're actually going to, on a weekly basis, cover each conference in length. So uh, each conference is going to have three shows attached to it. So the first one is going to be the state of the conference. So this is where we're going to Mm -hmm. take a look at each team, look at last year, look at their head coaches, look at the prospects, and really how we think that they're going to do here in the 2020 season. Then, to kind of continue with our prospects theme, we're going to have an, an episode solely dedicated to the NFL prospects that exist in, inside of each conference, right? So if it's mm-hmm. the SEC, we would take our 10 best NFL-ready uh, prospects out of the SEC and talk about them at length. So it's kind of taking the prospects series that we've been doing, but we're just taking it and doing it at a different lens, which I think is going to be really great for our listeners. And then third, we have an interview lined up uh, with a uh, an expert in each conference. Won't give that away, but we do have some great guests that we've lined up. Uh, we've got, got an email the other day, guys, about a very exciting guest uh, that I'm it, so pumped to be on that interview for. I can't wait to release that great content to you. So out of this series, again, we're going to do it conference by conference. And tonight is going to be the first episode of this new series. And it's going to be a state of the conference. And it's going to be Conference USA. We're going to kind yes. of co- go from the lower tiers all the way up and kind of like a crescendo, a crescendo guys. It's going to start low <laughs> with a G5, and then we're going to end with the, the power brokers near the end of the series. But I think for anybody who is going to listen to these episodes, you guys are going to be so primed and ready for the 2020 college football season. You're going to blow people away, everybody 
anybody who you work with and talk about nonstop, they're going to be like, whoa, that guy knows what he's talking about. All because you listen to our podcast. Let's go. I am so I am so excited to do Conference USA. Conference USA is probably my favorite G five conference. So really, I, yes, dude, really? I love it. Wow. I love it. I tune in to NFL Network every Saturday to watch Conference USA games. I love it. Wow. I, I wouldn't say that they're my favorite, but I do really like a lot of the schools. And one of the schools, obviously, is here in, in our home state of Virginia. So I always keep tabs on them because I like to see how I do. Now, Conference USA also has been rumored, and obviously it's it's on the blogosphere, so who knows what's true or not. But Pastel, your JMU Duke Dogs could possibly join the Conference USA in the next few years. They keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, I think – They've been looking for the perfect fit right now. So one of the things when I went there, the athletic director, he really wants to make sure that, one, we establish a winning culture at JMU with multiple national championships. Now we're kind of on that line with one recently, and we've been to a few more national championships. But really he also wants the attendance to really get to that 25K on a – on a weekly basis. So he's constantly selling out. So And we've kind of done that. So now that we kind of got all this – what you know, his criteria was. I think we are ready to make that next step forward. Conference USA is one of the uh, more ideal fits. I'm not gonna lie. I wish it was something more like the AAC. I know that's kind of like far fetched, but uh, I really do believe that after a few more years of possible national championship for JMU, like that's not completely out of reach. I mean, we we've built a brand now that for, in Virginia that is kind of living up. I mean, we, we've had two game days in the last four years. We're building a brand at JMU and. Conference USA, I think, is probably the lowest conference that we actually would go to. Yeah, I would say the AAC, that, that's a massive jump because Kenny says Conference USA is his favorite G5. AAC football, in my opinion, uh, is my favorite G5 mm-hmm. conference to watch. you got a lot of, lot of big-time programs in there, Memphis, Cincinnati, UCF, South Florida. Houston. Houston's another one. But anyways, guys, this isn't about the AAC tonight <laughs> or JMU. Right, we're talking conference USA. A lot of great schools in here. So how we're gonna do it? Pastel has got the East Conference. You know, as you know, Conference USA has 14 teams divided in the East and the West. So Pastel, why don't you kick us off and talk a little bit about the East and break each team down? Yeah, and kind of to talk about Conference USA as a whole, kind of like the state of the Conference USA. It's bottom line, it's a stepping stone for coaches. Like, we just have to acknowledge that. Think about this. There's a fun stat. If you're a fifth-year senior in 2020, there was only three coaches out of the 14 that are still coaching when you were getting recruited five years ago. And that's Skip Holtz, Doc Holliday, and uh, Rick Stockstill from Middle Tennessee. Every other coach is brand new in the last five years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that just kind of tells you in Conference USA, this isn't a place where you kind of build a brand with a coach for multiple years. It's a stepping stone. And it's it's unfortunate, but that's just what it is for the, the conference itself. Now, Old Dominion, Old Dominion, man, how the how the, how they had fallen. Remember how they were, like, one of the best teams in the FCS, and they kind of came onto the scene with the FBS, and they did very well, winning, I think, nine or ten games the second year in the in the league. Went to the bowl game. Uh, last year, they won one game, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As Gless would say, they stink, they stink coach. coach. Stink they do coach. stink. So guess what? When you go 1-11, you get fired if you're a head coach. And guess who comes in this offseason? They got a very good, interesting coach who I think is one of the better up-and-coming coaches, and that that's Ricky Rain. He's the offensive coordinator. He was the offensive coordinator for Penn State. He was a quarterback's coach for that. He's kind of followed Franklin from Penn State throughout his coaching career. And now it's his time to really step up and be that guy and own his own program. And if you're an investor, by the way, 
Old Dominion's the college to start investing to. They got all new facilities, and we all here talk about how facilities kind of sell the recruits these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Their new stadium was $67.5 million mm. worth of renovations, and it now seats about 22000 with the – it can be expanded if they wanted to to up to 30,000 fans. So, I mean, they've got the, they got the stadium, they got the facility, now they've got the coach. They're not there yet. I mean, they, they went 1-11 for good reason. They didn't have very, good, very many good players. And I don't foresee that changing too much next year. Really, they, they've had a few, few transfers. They had Eric Kuma, if you remember, the Virginia Tech mm-hmm. wide receiver, mm-hmm. who was a very productive wide receiver, mind you, at Virginia Tech. And even last year, before they decided to redshirt him, he played in a few games for them. And one game versus FAU, he had 10 catches for 100 yards. I mean, the guy can straight ball. And he's, he's going to be something that we'll talk about in a later segment that has NFL – Potential. They also have another guy named Calvin Bruton, who's a safety, and he was a he was a transfer, I believe, from uh, Florida State. So he, there's they have guys on the team. They just don't have enough depth. They haven't really had the recruiting classes recently. I mean, think about the recruiting classes. Last year they had the 117th recruiting class. This year is only 95, and then next year is currently 118. You can't win if you're constantly outside the top 100 recruiting classes, nope. even in the Conference USA. Yep. So we'll see what Ricky can do there. I, I think the program itself is trending upwards, but they're going to not do as well next year. I mean, I personally have, I have them at three wins next year. I, don't, I can't see the potential for that, that the prospects they have on well, that team three, right now to do much better than that. Three wins isn't outrageous. The over-under, according to Vegas, is two and a half. So you're right there toeing the line. I mean, that's I think yeah. that's reasonable. De- definitely a, a kind of a, a long fall from grace if you think about uh, you know the, the days of Taylor Heineke uh, at Old Dominion. And, of course, two years ago when they beat Virginia Tech at home, uh, certainly that was Old Dominion's coming out party into being an FBS school. In, in taking a, a high, kind of an extremely well-thought-of program in Virginia Tech and beating them at home. Pasto, who are some uh, some of their out-of-conference games you know, that we look at, and do they have a chance to, to challenge anybody in those out-of-conference games? So I, I don't think so. They play Virginia, which we all know Virginia is – they won 10 games last year, I believe, uh, 9 or 10 games last year. And, and they just got a transfer quarterback from Mississippi State that's going to kind of just take over the, the reins there. And I, so they're not going to win that game. And I don't believe they're going to beat Wake Forest either. I, I think overall, not to jump subject, but the ACC will be a lot stronger next year. And those two teams specifically are going to be right there in the thick of things for the ACC. Mm-hmm. So I just can't see Old Dominion, even though they did beat a Virginia Tech two years ago. That's not going to happen. They're, you're not going to see an upset like that when they're playing Virginia and Wake Forest this year. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. ACC has improved, uh, improved tremendously, so I, I don't see them having a chance in either of those games. Uh, are those home games? Anybody know? Are those yeah, home they're, games? They're, they're actually, yeah, so Old Dominion hosts Virginia and Wake Forest because I was if, – if they're, if they're allowing fans, I'm going to obviously be at that Wake Forest game. ODU is two hours for me, so of course I'll go to the Wake Forest game. How about say it's only an hour 15 minutes away from me. I may have to go to that game. So yeah. uh, let's go to another team in the East, uh, really highlighted by an up-and-coming com- up coach that if he keeps doing what he's doing at this school, he may not be there very long. But why don't you tell us about the, the Charlotte 49ers? And again, that's what I'm going to keep saying. It's going to be the constant theme is it's an up-and-coming coach. That, or someone that's trying to resurrect their career and really just to get that next coaching gig. But, Kenny, please feel free to chime in as I talk about Charlotte because I know your love for Will Healy. And last year, I mean, for, for good reason. He, he led Charlotte to their best, their best season ever in program history. Now, he had some help with Alex Atkins, who's a phenomenal offensive coordinator, who actually he just left for Florida State to be their new offensive line coach. 
But last year they were seven to six. They won a bowl game. And a lot of people kind of compare him to that Debo Sweeney uh, kind Dabo of like, Sweeney, yeah. you know, the, yeah, Dabo Sweeney, that lively culture. You know, kind of like really just enamors like the the prospects with like with his personality and and he's just very excited to be around. I mean, last year they had the best recruiting class they've ever had as well. They had the 69th recruiting class. Again, think about the recruiting class that I just mentioned with Old Dominion being 117, 118. You got Charlotte getting the 69th recruiting class in the country, and that's his first year as as recruiting uh, Will Healy. So I, I think there's a lot of a lot of promise with Charlotte. Now, like I said, they lost their offensive coordinator this past season, and last year they were third in Conference USA for uh, productivity yard, or yards per game on offense. They averaged over 420 yards per game that offense did. Now their quarterbacks coach Mark Carney, he's going to take over as the offensive coordinator. Which they kind of go, they kind of their history. Him and Will Healy have kind of dated back for some time mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we won't see too much of a drop off there. They lost their top running back this past year, but they got a NIU uh, transfer and Trey Harbinson, who had over a thousand yards last year. So they've got a few transfers. They have a few uh, guys I think that could break out. A, a, a wide receiver named Cameron Dollar. I wouldn't be surprised that this year he takes that next step forward. Last year he had 41 catches and about 600 yards and two TDs. I think he can be that next player for Charlotte. I say all that saying that I believe Will Healy is a great coach on the rise. I think that program is about exactly where it was last year. I think they were 7-6 and six last year, and I think they're about a 7-6 and six team this year. I don't think they're going to challenge anybody for the title in Conference USA. Now, Kenny, I'm not sure if you disagree with that. Uh, no, I think they're probably around the same as where they are. I, you know who does disagree with you, though, is Vegas. Vegas has Charlotte over under at, at, for their total wins this season at four and a half, uh, which I actually Ooh. Ooh. I actually hammered the over. And the over is minus 170, so you know it means a lot of people are betting on, on it, and it seems to be the favorite. But I took the over four and a half in that. But that's their over under. Yeah, you know, it was just fr- – it's always weird because you, you don't know if they got the bump because Healy was there. And, you know, it, we saw it with Florida Atlantic uh, a couple years ago where Lane Kiffin, this first year there, did really awesome. And then they missed – and it was in the was in the conference championship game. And then they missed the bowl game the next season only to turn around and be the best team in the conference the next year. So it, it's always weird when, when you have a coach coming into their second season and they're after coming off their first season. So – I think they'll be around the same team. Uh, I listen. I really love he- Will Healy. I don't think that's any secret. What he did at Austin P was absolutely phenomenal. What he's doing at Charlotte is incredible in his first year. Club Lit is awesome. I don't know if you guys have ever seen when they win a when they win a yeah. game. They 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 celebrate in the in the locker room with it turning into a big club like a dance club. It's really cool. And then I, if you saw how they announced their bowl game last year, they went to the Bahamas Bowl. He comes in dressed as Scuba Steve with his scuba gear on. And his and everything, and announces to the team that they're going bowling at the Bahama Bowl. They've accepted the invite. Like he's just a really innovative, he's yeah, he's cool innovative guy. coach. He knows how to he knows how to relate to the players. He reminds me a lot of PJ Fleck, as another guy I'm extremely high on. So I think Will Healy will be here for a couple another couple years, probably probably another two years. But he's one big season away from coaching the next big P5 school. And to be fair, the Conference USA might not have a lot of elite teams, but it is very balanced. Like there is a lot of teams in here that could absolutely win seven or eight games. So that might be a reason why Vegas, they think maybe the loss of the offensive coordinator. They also played Duke and Tennessee this year. Like That's going to be two tough mm-hmm. games for them. Already on top of a, a tough conference USA that we think, like I know, Kenny, you're high on UAB, and I know FAU, they're in their year out as well as FIU. So like, they've got a tough schedule, conference and out of conference. So 
I do believe they will win over four and a half games, but that now that you mentioned that, Kenny, I, I guess I can see some of the reasons why it is a little yeah, bit definitely, Yeah, definitely a program on the rise for a couple of different reasons, facilities being one. I think the area of the country that they're in being in a major metropolitan city like Charlotte uh, certainly helps them recruiting-wise. I, I would can, I would expect, as long as Will Keeley there, to have continually bringing in really great talent. And I think that Duke game kind of stands out to me because if he can pull that one off, I think that that may really launch Charlotte on. That would be, be, I would think, the biggest win in program history and really catapult Charlotte to have a great season there in 2020. Now, mentioned Lane Kiffin a little bit earlier. Lane Kiffin is no longer (laughs) at FAU. So, Pastel, what what is – FAU's outlook for the 2020 season and can they get back can they get back to winning uh like they have the last two three years there at Florida Atlantic yeah they absolutely can because Kiffin he did a phenomenal job like you're kidding yourself he did not do a good job at Florida Atlantic there's a reason at first I didn't know why that reason was the first few times he got the Tennessee gig and then USC but there's a reason now he got the Ole Miss gig because he proved that he can make Florida Atlantic a relevant team. And they, they won 11 mm-hmm. games last year, guys. And he's recruited well. Uh, he's recruited, I think, yeah, last year it was, he was 61. This year they're at 67. And next year they're currently at 65. And again, for Conference USA, that's upper tier. So in comes Willie Taggart, which is funny because it's almost like the same trajectory Kiffin's career was on. He goes to, was it Florida State? Completely bombs there. And now he's kind of trying to resurrect his career at Florida Atlantic to hopefully probably get the job the next job that he wants. Now, Kiffin left him a crap load of talent. I mean, a crap load of talent. His quarterback, Chris Robinson, he threw for over 3,700 yards and 28 TDs with only mm. six picks. So he's returning. Uh, they've got running back Malcolm Davidson. Really, that, that whole offense is loaded coming back. So I think you, you kind of you pair him with guys like John uh, – John Mitchell, mm-hmm. Willie Wright, and they've got four P5. When I say like, usually when you hear transfers, they're not always P5 transfers. There's there's G5 transfers, some FCS guys that jump up, but these guys got five or four P5 transfer transfers coming to them as well. So that team is already loaded. They got some more transfers coming in. They've got the quarterback there. I think this is going to be that team that can absolutely compete for the the Conference USA and really give Willie Taggart his once stardom that he once had at Oregon back. Now, is it because of him? No, it's because of Lane Kiffin left him the talent there. But, I mean, he's going to ride that talent for at least a year or two, and it's going to give him a good it's name. It's going to be interesting because I'm, I'm curious as to how Taggart, if he, can de- if he can continue to develop the roster like Kiffin was able to. And like you said, Kiffin didn't leave the cupboard bare when he left. That team is loaded. They're really good. But interesting enough, I don't know if Vegas believes in Willie Taggart because they're over under seven and a half wins. And that's a big drop off from 11 last year. And you said, like you said, they have a decent amount of returning players. They have some P5 transfers. But what Willie Taggart team are we going to see? Are we going to see the Willie Taggart who resurrected South Florida from a, a two and ten team to a ten and two team in in, in three years, or, or are we going to see the Willie Taggart who couldn't even get a winning record off at Florida State? Um, you know, and he went seven and five his one year at Oregon. I'm not saying that's indicative of him as a coach, but the last two stops haven't been exactly pretty for him. So I, I don't know if I necessarily believe that they're going to be the same high scoring, you know, high, well-coached team that they were the last couple of years. And you also got to remember their offensive coordinator has gone too. Charlie Weiss jr. Left as well. He left with Kiffin. So I, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, point. I'm curious as if, if Taggart can 
do what he did. if he could duplicate what he did at South Florida, then they'll be fine. But if he's anywhere like he's been his last two stops, I'm not necessarily convinced that that Florida Atlantic's yeah. going to be better off. Yeah, I think it's going to be really tough for a lot of these first-year head coaches figuring that they didn't have a spring practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't really been able to get out on the field with their guys. I think, I, I think we may see this theme, and we'll continue to discuss it conference by conference, but the schools that have had established head coaches and that have been there for two, three years that have been able to install their system, get their guys in consistently in the coaching ranks, I think that they have a significant leg up compared to Willie Taggart coming in, kind of taking over. Yeah, he has a lot of talent in there. But, man, he's got to do a lot of work in a very short amount of time to be able to field the team to go out there and feel comfortable with each other. So I think that's one thing to keep an eye on is is because of COVID-19 and, and Taggart not having a spring to be able to go through and install the system in spring practice, get, get on the same page with the skill guys, um, get his coaching staff in there, getting close to players. I think that may be a challenge for him. Um, all the best. I think he's a great guy, but in the his first two, you know, P five jobs were extremely less than stellar. Going seven and five in Oregon, uh, in my opinion, is is that's not good. You get a lot of really good talent, and that's a tier two school, in my opinion. And then, of course, everybody knows what happened to Florida State. So, you know, all the best luck to Taggart, and that'll be an interesting storyline to kind of focus on now let's go to another conference usa school that i think has been one of the more consistent conference usa programs probably in the last eight nine years uh they seem to be always competitive and that's the hilltoppers of western kentucky yeah they've they've got a good program down there and you don't really hear a lot of a lot of people talk about them so you got tyson helton he's in his second year last year they went nine and four six and two in conference i mean so really, last year, if you really think about it, that was supposed to be their rebuilding year. Mm-hmm. Kind of like it was his first year at coach. Kind of like really set the precedence of what the Hilltoppers are going to be. And they started out kind of bad, but then their quarterback got hurt. And then they got Troy Story, who was the Arkansas quarterback, who came in and just freaking <laughs> tore, tore it up. And he started beating programs. He even beat his own program, or uh, previous program, Arkansas, and smoked them. I think they also beat Miami that year. Like the Hilltoppers came out of nowhere last year. And won nine games when I think they were only supposed mm-hmm. to win probably four or five. Now, they lost uh, True Story, and they lost a few other key players. But check this out, guys. They have about 17 players that are going to start next year who are that started last year that are going to return. That, that, that kind of depends on whether they will start or not. But really, they have about 17 returning starters, depending on how you look at it, certain positions, returning. Now, Glesson, to your point, you have an established coach now. He's already been there for a year. And now you're telling me they're going to have 17 players returning that started last year? That's a team that COVID-19 might not be affecting them as much as compared to other programs because they have everything already in place. The system's in place. They've got senior leadership in place. And they've got the same players. So I think West Western Kentucky is set up for success this year. Kenny, I'm not sure what their over-under is on Vegas, but if mm-hmm. I had to guess, I'd put around Seven and eight. a half. Seven and a half. And, and they've got talent, too. I mean, D'Angelo Malone and Jawan Jones, they're, they're incredible. They're uh, middle linebackers and safeties. Their whole entire defense is really probably their strength. The question is really who's that quarterback going to be and who's going to step up for them. Now, they've got a little bit of some tough out-of-conference games, depending on how you view Louisville and Indiana. But I think, at least I believe, Louisville and Indiana, in their own right, are up and coming as well. So I think that that's really their two tougher out-of-conference games. But really, the, the program itself 
is going to do well, and I think this year they're going to win. Yeah, about the, pro- eight or nine the program, games as well. like Les said, has been really consistent. Um, you know, it started really in, uh, in 2011. Willie Taggart uh, had two years where they went seven and five. He took he left. Bobby Petrino came in. They went eight and four. Jeff Brom took over, and they had really really good success under Jeff Brom. He kind of took them to a whole new level. Uh, unfortunately, Mike Stanford didn't work out. He was fired, and then Tyson Helton came in and went nine and four after taking over a team that only won three games the year before. So, really consistent for the most part. This team's been pretty decent. I think over under seven and a half wins is fair. I think they're one of the better teams in the league. But uh, like you said, they've got some work to do, and we'll really see if was last year more of an aberration, or is Tyson Helton going to take them to the next level? So, and be the 12, 11, 12 win team that they were under Jeff Brom. Yeah, and I want to correct myself real quick. So it's not that they had 17 or 18 returning starters. It's that they have 17 to 18 mm-hmm. senior oh, wow. starters this Ooh. year. Like so they're all seniors. And that, it's an experienced that group and, a, and it's certainly a group to keep an eye on. I'm looking at that Indiana game as a possible upset. I, I, I'm not as big on Indi- – I mean, Indiana has never been really a big – big football program so i think that you know they if got, they, they got they a come quarterback out of, this year though glass yeah so they got some quarterbacks they've been though. able to do yeah, kind of produce some quarterbacks but that Penix. indiana game i think could be a game that 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 could make western kentucky season if they end up going and, and pulling that upset there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners betonline.ag Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now, uh, moving to uh, from a school that's had a really strong head coaching uh, kind of history as far as guys coming in there and being able to win, to I believe he's the most senior coach here in the Conference USA, and that's Doc Holliday and the Marshall Thundering Herd. I mean, he has to be, man. He's been there for 11 years. I mean, he's definitely so – I'll tell you this, Glessner. There's no excuse for Marshall this year. I mean, they went 8-5 and five last year, pretty mediocre. They got a few transfers. One was a Delaware State star linebacker and uh, Brian Cavante. I can't – I think that's how you pronounce his name. And then a former uh, West Virginia safety, Derek Pitts. So two guys that are coming in to only bolster a – a lineup that's already very star-studded. I mean, they got their uh, starting quarterback coming back, their starting running back coming back, their starting tight end, pretty much four offensive linemen that started for them last year, and a pretty deep wide receiver core. If if there was ever a year for Marshall to say, like, all right, the offense is in place, they got the returning players, like, there's absolutely zero excuses for Marshall this year. If they don't win more than nine games, then, I, I mean, I guess what what is your level of expectation for Marshall? I mean, I've always had them, held them a little bit more to a higher level, I feel like I feel like Doc Holliday. This is about is if if you were ever going to win a conference uh, USA, interesting. Then this is your. Uh, year. I, I'd yeah, also Mar- like to Marshall's note about Marshall. Yeah, go ahead, Gus. Yeah, I think it's interesting to take a look at Marshall. Marshall has kind of been a pretty steady Eddie 
program under Doc Holliday. You look at you know the last three seasons, eight wins, nine wins, eight wins, three bowl appearances. So uh, I'd expect probably similar from Marshall. I think Marshall's always been extremely competitive in Conference USA. Yeah, and and their deep their defensive end is probably their best player, uh, Darius Hodge. He's six foot two. He had seven sacks last year. I think he's been one of those prospects that might hit 10, 10 sacks this year and really kind of ascend himself to the NFL draft talk. Again, talk about out-of-conference games they got this year. They've got three. They've got East Carolina, Pittsburgh, and Boise State. Now, I think they'll beat East Carolina, or they should beat East Carolina at least. But Pittsburgh and Boise State are going to be two tough outs for Marshall, which, uh, Kenny, what would you say the over-under on? So Vegas is, is for, split on uh, Marshall for over under six and a half, and they're both negative 110. So there's really no long-shot pick there. Vegas is pretty split. Yeah, they've got a tough schedule, so I think that's probably why it's so low. But, I mean, again, if look at Conference USA, Kenny. Like, everything you've just said is six, seven, eight. Like, these are very equal teams yep. in Conference USA right Going now. Going from one experienced coach to another experienced coach in Butch Davis over there for Florida International. Such a interesting place for him to end up figuring he was a former head coach of the Cleveland Browns and obviously head coach at the University of Miami. Yeah, I feel like every coach here has an interesting story, one way or another. But Butch, Butch, Davis, Butch Jones, Davis, he finished last year. Sorry, Butch Davis finished last year. Six wins, seven losses. Uh, and honestly, his biggest loss is his quarterback, James Morgan. Losing him is going to be a hard one. And I'm not sure if that program is going to be able to recover, even though they've got two decent prospects below him in Kalen Williams and, and a redshirt freshman, uh, Stone Norton. But, I mean, so who's it going to be? It's going to be interesting. No one's going to be able to replace James Morgan, I don't think. Now, they did get two transfers that are very productive players in J.J. Holloman from Georgia and a former Boise State linebacker, Tyson Maeva. Now, the prospect I love and I can't wait to talk about him next segment is John Baptiste. And uh, he's so he's, he's six foot three. And I'm just going to give you a little tidbit here. He runs like a 4'4", and he's 245 pounds. And he's a defensive end, sorry. So he's... He's going to be someone I can't I can't wait to talk about, and they also have brothers on the teams, uh, Richard and Richard Dames, and they're both defensive backs, and they're they're one of the best defensive backs combos in Conference USA. So that's a kind of a brother tandem that is exciting for Florida International. Now, again, though, they, I mean, they're good, but can they recover from losing a quarterback of James Morgan's caliber? I personally don't think they can. I think they're around that five win team next year, maybe six yep. again. Just kind of uh, name clarification: that's Alexi Jean Baptiste. Yeah, yeah, Alexi, gotcha, yep. Oh, okay, they uh, appreciate it. So going from that to, and I should stand corrected when we were talking about Doc Holliday, this guy is the senior member of the Conference USA group, uh, Rick Stockstill, out of Middle Tennessee State. Pasto, how do you see Middle Tennessee State faring this season? Not good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they've been a pretty consistent program as well. They've had some productive years. I mean, if you, if you think about it, they're bowl eligible from 2012 to 2018. So it does go to show that they've had some success there at Middle Tennessee State. Last year, they did not do well. They, they won four games. They lost eight. And then this year, I mean, they played Virginia Tech, and they played Duke. And I think Virginia Tech is going to have a very good year this year as well. And I think Duke's going to be – he's going to be, they're going to be right there with the, the rest of the ACC. The only thing that Middle Tennessee has going for them that is a very good thing to have going for you is you have a quarterback – Named Asher O'Hara, who rushed for over 2,600 or passed for over 2,600 yards nice. and rushed for over 1,100 yards. So he's a very electric dual threat quarterback there. And when you have a dual threat quarterback in the college game, they can transcend a program for that year. We've seen it year in year out. If you can stay healthy, a quarterback that has that type of 
athletic ability really can lead you to more victories than what your program should be winning. I think they're not going to do it very well this year. I think they can – five and a half. Probably four wins is their over-under. Five and a half. So, yeah, I guess Vegas thinks they're a little bit better than I do. But that might be because of that quarterback. The quarterback's awesome. They've also had a couple of transfers. Uh, well, again, one guy from West Virginia, Martel Petaway, and then a guy from Florida State named Amir Razul. So they, they've got a few – and they also have four returning offensive linemen as well. So they've got a lot of returning players. That's probably why I guess Vegas does have them a little bit higher than I would, probably just because they do have that that depth and that returning. It looks like offense to really go with these delays in the offseason program that we talked about with COVID-19. So that kind of helps a team like Middle Tennessee out as well. Uh, so that's we the East. We've got Old there. Dominion, Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, Marshall, Florida International, and Middle Tennessee State. Pasto, real quick, do you have a quick – uh, do you have a non-hot take winner of the East? I'll tell you this. I mm, do think Western like Kentucky, even though they lost their quarterback, even though they lost their quarterback, watch, they're going to win the Conference USA because I do think that when you said you have 17 to 18 seniors, when there's no off-season program, like they're going to come out the gates on fire purely because sure. every other team's going to be so far behind. Gotcha. Them. So I like that. Yeah. So Western just to Kentucky. also clarify, that's 17 and 18 senior starters. Correct, senior starters. Gotcha. And that okay, was, so that correct. Go ahead. And, and go ahead, Western go ahead. Kentucky was my pick as well, Gless. That was out of the East. Western Kentucky was the team I thought would come out of it. You heard it here first, everyone. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers will will be the winner of the East at Conference USA. So started with the East, and let's finish with the finish with the West. Kenny, why don't you start us off with the team that you were just gushing over text messages all this week, and that's UAB. UAB might be one of the best G5 teams in the country, much less the best G our best team in the Conference USA. Their story, obviously, you know, they dismantled the football team only to bring it back a year later, and they haven't missed a beat. Bill Clark was the 2018 Sporting News and Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year. They have 18 returning starters, nine on each side of the football, and they're guided Ooh. by Tyler Johnson the third, a two-year starter who has dealt with some injury issues at quarterback, but. The biggest thing, he just needs to protect the ball a little bit better. He's had 24 interceptions the past two seasons and only a 58% completion percentage. So he's kind of the one thing that's held them back a little bit, but he really hasn't held them back. He just needs to play better, and I think he can. You know, This will be his third year starting, and he's gotten better each year, so I think the third year will be the best. Running back Spencer Brown is obviously, he's the bell cow. He's already UAB's all-time leading rusher, and he's looking to put more distance in the record books and stay and stay health, as he stays healthy this year because he's battled a multitude of injuries last season, which really set him back. But if he returns back to his freshman sophomore form, it's going to be a big boost for an already potent offense. Jermaine Brown is a great change of pace back, uh, former receiver, and I love him coming out of the backfield and being kind of that Swiss Army knife in the offense. I think that uh, that he's going to be responsible for a lot of explosive plays. And same with Austin Watkins. He's the best wide receiver UAB's had since Roddy White. He's had, he had 19 yards per catch last season, over 1,000 yards. And he's the cousin of Sammy Watkins, which I think is pretty cool. And just keep an eye on Malik Bryant. He was one of the top Juco transfers. He's, he's a 6'6 tight end now who's going to enroll mm. at UAB. So keep an eye on him. He's one of the, like I said, was one of the biggest Juco 
uh, recruits in the country. Defense, so offensively, UAB is stocked, locked, and loaded. And then defensively, they're pretty good as well. Defensively, they were top 10 in the country the past two years, and they should be able to make it three years in a row. Like I said, they have a ton of returning talent. They have nine starters coming back on defense. They're really a no-fly zone in the secondary. They have five defensive back starters, and they have the luxury of adding a 2018 starter back into the mix, Briante Harris, who missed all of 2019 with a foot injury. So they have six defensive backs with starting experience, but that's not even the that's not even the best part of their defense. The best part of their defense is are linebackers Christopher Mole and edge rusher Jordan Smith. They're probably the two best def, they're probably the two best def, uh, prospects mm-hmm. on the entire roster and for the NFL as well. Christopher Mole had 15 tackles for loss, eight sacks, three forced fumbles from the missed from the middle linebacker position, and then Jordan Smith had 14 and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks, and three forced fumbles from the edge position. And then if you throw in Noah Wilder, who's the other linebacker in this defense, he had double digit tackle for losses as well. Bottom line, guys, UAB is the favorite to win the Conference USA in my opinion. Vegas has them over under at eight and a half wins. Now out of conference, they have. New Mexico State, Alabama, A&M, South Alabama, and the U. And I think the U can be a winnable game. I know Brandon uh, is very high on the U, but the U lost to Louisiana Tech, another Conference USA opponent, in their bowl game last year, 14 to nothing. So it's not like UAB, and UAB was better than Louisiana Tech was last year, and they're better this year. I, I, I just think it's, I think it's a no-brainer that UAB is the favorite team in the, in the Conference USA this year. Yeah, Jordan Jordan Smith. I talked about him on our I think our linebacker, our defensive end segment, edge rusher segment a couple of weeks ago. He he's absolutely one of my favorite players in college football. The guy is six foot seven, two hundred fifty pounds, and an absolute monster. And I think a little bit of injuries and some other things have kind of impeded him in his progress until last year when he really exploded onto the scene. But I'm I'm with you on him, Kenny, and I'm with you really on UAB. I I think it's just really when it comes down to what comes down to UAB is. We just talked about four teams that are in similar positions, like a lot of returning players coming back, a lot of that depth, really good defenses, really, and then a couple of good, really well-balanced offenses. So I think I get what you're saying with you think they're the best. I mean, what does Vegas have? What's what's the number uh, one UAB team in Conference USA for most wins? Uh, it is UAB, like Louisiana Tech, second? and a bunch of other schools is tied that- at seven and a half. It'll be interesting to see how UAB does. I will tell you that I thought they had an outstanding 2019 season, going nine and five, six and two in conference, and uh, just missing winning the West to the next school that we'll talk about, uh, which was also a surprise last year, and that would be the Skip Holtz-led Louisiana Tech. Yeah, Louisiana Tech is going to be interesting. And I spoke to Ben Carlisle of Bleed Tech Blue, and his interview will be out sometime next week uh, about Louisiana Tech. So I'll be brief because I don't want to spoil a lot of that interview. But he he talked about some strengths and weaknesses of the program. Strengths, you know, he talked about Skip Holtz, obviously program continuity. They've had six straight bowl wins, which is actually the, the longest streak in the nation. Louisiana Tech is the number one consecutive bowl win record right now with six they have tons of offensive talent returning justin henderson might be the best offensive prospect and in the in the entire conference usa adrian hardy lots of returning starters uh in that unit the concerns they have to replace jamar smith who is the best quarterback to come through louisiana tech ever and if you remember they've had guys like jeff driscoll tim Rattay. they've had a lot of guys come through that program 
who have been good quarterbacks, and he was the guy. So they're looking to replace him with Abilene Christian grad transfer Luke Anthony or internally with Aaron Allen. It's going to be a, a quarterback competition there. They lost nine defensive starters. They lost their defensive coordinator, Bob Diaco. He left to Purdue. Lack of practices to get the defense up to speed is a big concern as well. So, again, I don't want to take away too much of what was said in the interview, but there's going to be probably a little bit of a step back. Offensively, there's going to be a little bit of a step back because they're going to have to break in a new quarterback. And defensively, you just don't lose nine defensive starters and yeah. and really retain that continuity and your defensive coordinator and expect to be better than it was the year before. Now, some of the top NFL prospects on this team, I mentioned it, Justin Henderson, Adrian Hardy, and Willie Allen, who was actually a – Willie Allen's the left tackle was he was actually signed by LSU and then transferred to Louisiana Tech. He, guys, he's 6'8", 335 pounds. Mm, like he's definitely going to he's definitely going to get drafted for sure, but Ben mentioned that he liked him more as a right tackle in the NFL versus a left tackle. Their over under wins are seven and a half. I think that's a fair statement. I they probably go a little under in my opinion just I just don't think the defense is going to be there, but I think seven and a half is a fair number. I tell you what, you know, LA Tech, they always seem to produce pretty good running backs. Their best running back is probably a year away from them. The 2021 recruit, Catravion Katra- mm-hmm. Hargrove. He's a four-star prospect. You don't hear about L.A. Tech getting four-star prospects, but he's like a top 300 player in, in the national mm-hmm. recruiting right now, and he signed with L.A. Tech. And so kind of just that pipeline of running backs, it was just weird to say for L.A. Tech, but they've had guys in the past, like one you just mentioned there, Kenny. Remember, remember Moats, Ryan mm-hmm. Moats from L.A. Tech? He was one of the most electric running backs I've seen in the past decade. So it's kind of – Kind of cool seeing. I think I think uh, like that Dixon's from Louisiana Tech backs. as well. Yep. That's right. I think one of the Kenny. I think you hit right. it yep. uh, straight on the head when you said losing nine defensive starters, just a couple defensive stats. Uh, they were ranked number one in the nation last year in defensive and in, in defensive red zone. So it means that they get in the red, like offense gets in the red zone. They're they're not scoring touchdowns. Right, so I think when you lose that, I think you'll you'll see their average points per game start to crawl up just because you're you're more than likely going to be giving up more touchdowns and field goals or turnovers. So something certainly to keep an eye on with Louisiana Tech, going with a, a school that actually had a pretty decent year last year. All things considered, it's not really a hotbed. Uh, went five and three in conference, seven and six overall, and that's the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Yeah, Southern Miss is interesting. You know, they they have 13 returning starters, seven on offense, six on defense. And honestly, Jack Abraham, their quarterback, might be the best quarterback prospect for the 2021 draft. And you look at his stats, he had 3,400 yards, but he only had 19 touchdowns versus 15 interceptions. The skills are there. He just needs to get a little bit more consistency. He's got, a, he's got great accuracy. He's got great timing. And he really has a good flow of the game. He just needs to get a smidge better. But if he can, you know, he's got two great returning starters at wide receiver, Tim Jones and Jalen Adams, who bring back tons of production. And they brought in two JUCO All-Americans. Americans and Jason Brownlee and Daquan Bailey Brown. So it's pretty clear the offense is going to run through the passing game. However, keep an eye on a true freshman recruit this year whose dad actually plays in the NFL still, and that would mm-hmm. be Frank Gore Jr., uh, who who will be in the competition for their uh, running back position because it is wide open going into the fall. Their best player on defense is Jacquez Turner. He had 13 tackles for losses and six sacks on the defensive line. Uh, Kyle Hemby is a rock in the secondary. He's a safety with great range. He can play in the box. He's a solid tackler. And Rashawn Mitchell as well also heads up 
the secondary at cornerback. Eight pass defended, two interceptions. So I think Southern Miss is going to be a uh, a really, really solid team. And they're over-under if you look at Vegas. By the way, when I say Vegas, it's I'm looking at the one and the only site we're ever going to look at, and that's Bet Line, guys, by mm, the way. Just I like for the that record. Plug. I want to I want to make sure that we're we're giving them good plug. Our great partners at Bet Online and their over under is actually seven and a half as well. So it seems to be <laughs> a lot of seven and a half over unders in this conference USA right now. So that's where Southern Miss is at, and they're at a conference schedule this year is South Alabama, Jackson State, Auburn, and Liberty. You know, two that are definitely winnable. Auburn, they're probably going to get blown out, and Liberty should be a pretty competitive game. You know what we like to call in the biz what you just did there, Kenny? We like to call that value add. That's what that <laughs> is. Very nicely done. Southern Miss, again, it's a program that's always been a pretty solid program, but I would agree with you. You know, Last year, I kind of see them right at the 500 range. Now, going from Southern Miss to a school that went 4-8 and eight last year, and to be quite honest with you guys, defensively, they were just atrocious. They were uh, average points per game, gave up about uh, 32.5 points per game, and their red zone defense was just atrocious, ranking a 127th overall in red zone defense. So really can't stop a nosebleed at North Texas. Kenny, do we see a better outlook for North Texas here in 2020? I got to say, this this one really hurts my soul a little bit because North Texas, I don't know if you guys remember in our group chat last year, North Texas was a team I was extremely high on. I love their quarterback, Mason Fine, and I thought for sure they were going to be one of the teams to represent Conference USA in a positive light. It just never got going, and maybe I underestimated losing their coordinators last year. You know, Graham Harrell left North Texas to go to go the OC at, at University of uh, Southern California, USC, so... I, I don't know. They they had a really down year, four and eight, like you said, Gless. They had they played very terrible defense, and they only have eleven returning starters, six on offense, five on defense, and maybe maybe losing out so many players on defense isn't necessarily a worst thing. Maybe some new blood will help bring a change on that defense. But they've got a lot of shoes to fill at quarterback. Mason Fine was a four year record breaking starter. He's gone, and Austin On is the is a former Yankees minor leaguer. Uh, and Jason Bean, they will both battle it out. Who's on the team last year? They will battle it out for the quarterback position come fall camp. Running back is deep with Trey Siggers and DeAndre Torrey. They both proven they can handle the rock and be trusted as a feature back. Uh, wide receivers Jaleon Darden and Jair Shorter are solid. Even though Rico Busey missed all of last season, he transferred to Hawaii. That's still a big loss in my opinion. He's one of the best receivers in the country, and that's unfortunate that he's not going to be able to continue his career at North Texas. Uh, linebacker on defense. Like you said, Gless, really awful. They only had four interceptions last year. It was the Ooh. it was the it was the fewest in the FBS linebacker. Uh, but some bright spots: Tyreek Davis, KD Davis are the biggest playmakers on defense. Tyreek had 14, tac- 14 and a half tackles for losses and four and a half sacks last year. KD had seven tackles for losses and three and a half sacks. Uh, nose tackle Dion Noble was also a bright spot on that defense. He had 13 tackles for losses and three sacks, but he is the only returning starter on the D-line, so we'll see what that brings. But yeah, a lot of work to be done. Bet Online uh, has them at over under five and a half, and it seems to be sp- pretty split. No matter which one you take, it's minus ten and a half, so it looks like they could see them be- see them as a fringe bowl team this year. But yeah, a lot of a lot of work to turn around, and hopefully Seth Luttrell, who's one of the most highly regarded G five coaches, can do it. I think he can. I'm a little bit bullish on North Texas, probably than most, and they're out of conference games this year. 
are brutal though, and that's the problem. They can compete in conference, but they're probably going to go one and four in their out of conference game, and that's Houston Baptist, Texas A and M, SMU, and Houston. Just a mm. brutal, brutal stretch of yeah. out of conference games. Yeah, Wolf is right. That that's a tough. <laughs> that's that's a tough schedule. Go ahead, Pasto. Yeah. They they also got a mm-hmm. transfer from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. This like, about a month ago, Amani Gilmore. And remember, Amani Gilmore, he was only maybe only a three-star quarterback coming out of out of high school to Kentucky. But the scouting report on him was that he was one of the most accurate pocket passers that was was in his hometown state. So I think they were able to pry him away from Kentucky with four four years of eligibility left. I'd be curious to see where he kind of fits. Certainly himself something to keep an eye on uh, as well. But like you said, with Seth Luttrell being at the helm there, North Texas has always been competitive. So my things, they can be better on defense. They can give their offense a chance. But as you said, that out of conference, that's brutal. Texas A&M, SMU, and Houston, that's, that, that's tough for any any G5 program to have to go up against, but certainly with North North Texas and, and their struggles last year could be something to keep an eye on. Now, going on to another program that's always been kind of fascinating for me uh, because of, one, where they play. They play in the Alamo Dome, which I love. I think it's a great mm-hmm. atmosphere, and that's the University of Texas at San Antonio. Yeah, and I just actually, right before we recorded this segment, I had an interview with Javi Gardinez, who is one of the lead writers at Birds Up, which is a UTSA uh, website that covers their football and basketball programs. And it it was very interesting. So I'm going to be brief because we're going to drop that again next week. And I don't want to I don't want to give away too much of uh, uh, information from that interview, but definitely reasons for optimism. It might not be this year, but UTSA has a new head coach in Jeff Trailer, who is has tremendous, tremendous Texas ties. He was uh, a Texas head coach in high school for 15 years. They won multiple state championships. He then went and, and went to Texas, the University of Texas, and was an assistant head coach there, coached the tight ends. He was two-time Big 12 Recruiter of the Year at UT. He left to go. Um, he left and went to uh, Arkansas and obviously was part of a program that didn't really do much there. Once that whole staff was let go, he then became the head coach back here at UTSA. He has a ton of ties. They have the number one current recruiting class for 2021 out of the Conference USA, so he's already flexing his recruiting muscles. But this season, just not a lot of not a lot of optimism. They're breaking in. I mean, they, they, their quarterback room is interesting. Their quarterback who won the competition last year got hurt early in the season, and quarterback who came in, uh, Lowell Narcissi didn't play very well. Only a 53% completion percentage, eight touchdowns, five interceptions in 11 games. So they're going to open that competition back up. And honestly, I was talking to Javi, and he said it's going to be like a four or five man competition. It's going to be a it's going to be a ton of guys who are going to be going for it. Now, however, the one positive here, Sincere McCormick, freshman All American running back, averaged 5.6 yards a carry, just shy of a thousand yards. Nine total touchdowns last year. He was the MVP of this offense, and they only expect him to get better. And what's just really cool, and I thought was pretty neat, is he's a local San Antonio guy, and they have a bunch of local San Antonio guys who are joining the roster this year as well, and they're really building up a big community down there of, of local heroes. So the program looks to be in good hands, but just this season, unfortunately, if you look at Battle Line, they're over under three and a half wins. It's not a very promising stat. Uh, and they're switching over from a 4-2-5 to a 3-3-5 defense this year with new defensive coordinator Tyro Nix, which is another big name because that guy's been everywhere, and he's been the, a finalist for the Broyles Award a couple of times for top assistant coach in NCAA football. And he's coached up some great defense. But obviously with what's going on in the country and the lack of practice – 
making wholesale changes to a defense isn't going to be great. Their defense is led by Jalen Haynes, 11 and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, and Rashad Wisdom, who I think is an absolute stud. He's a hybrid linebacker safety at 5'10", 205, but he plays like a missile and he's a playmaker. Now, the one cool thing about UTSA is the race project. And, and what that is, is that is a athletic facility that they are building. Currently, it's a $41 million project. It's going to be a state-of-the-art facility for the University of Texas San Antonio. So that's only going to make things better. Their out-of-conference games are LSU, which is not good. Texas State, Grambling, and Memphis. Uh, Memphis is, a, is going to be a tough game. Texas State and Grambling, they should be able to compete with. But outside of that, man, I think wins are going to be at a, at a premium this year for this, for this team. Talk about the ability to recruit within their own state, man. And the 2020 recruiting class, out of yeah. 16 signees well, they there's, got. There's a lot of great high school football in Texas. Texas, as we all know, and there's a ton of talent. Uh, and there's a lot of talent to go around in Texas, which is why in Conference USA there's so many Texas teams, uh, which will actually round out our preview of the West. Got two more schools left. First, Kenny, how do you see the Rice Owls playing out here in 2020? Uh, so, again – optimism maybe for what coach Bloomgren is doing down the road, but not right now guys, they had to have open tryouts at quarterback in the spring this year. Oh no. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard of open tryouts at the quarterback position. Like you hear that at kicker, you hear that at a couple other places, but I don't know. I've ever heard that at quarterback. However, um, it sounds like after open tryouts, TCU grad transfer Mike Collins and TJ McMahon are going to be battling it out for the fall for the starting spot. Uh, the wide receivers are going to be a focal point, of the off, focal point of the offense. Bradley Rosner and Austin Trammell both had over 700 yards receiving and a handful of touchdowns. So they're going to help out who's ever starting at quarterback. And they had an upper third defense nationally. That's the strength of this team. They returned 10 starters, which is huge, and it's going to be the lifeblood of this program. Outside linebacker Blaze Aldridge is a beast, guys. 21 and a half tackles for loss, mm. four sacks, and he finished second nationally in tackles for loss per game. So he's an absolute stud. Um, George Nyakwal and Naeem Smith might be the best safety duo in the Conference USA, and Nyakwal is going to get definite looks at the next level. Treshawn Chamberlain is a linchpin because he can play safety and linebacker, and he's really going to help Rice uh, play that four-two-five with his flexibility and his ability to pre- prevent mismatches since he can cover and play in space and he can play in the box. Now, Beto Line has their over-under at five and a half and that's really reliant on how their defense plays this year because their offense, I think, is going to be pretty garbage regardless uh, unless Mike Collins turns out to be the player maybe TCU thought he could have been. But what Rice is known for and academically is these grad transfers come in because they were, you know, fourth or fifth string quarterbacks at these big programs and they come to Rice to get their grad degree because it's such a uh, uh, academically great college scholastically it's such a great program so I don't know if Mike Collins is going to be that big of an upgrade over what most people see when they see TCU grad transfer and their out of conference games are really tough as well they have Houston Army LSU they should Mm. be able to beat Lamar but I don't know if they're going to be better than one and four out of conference yeah, that's a that's another brutal out of conference schedule. I mean, that's I mean they may get blown out in all three in three of the four of those games. They may not even be very close. Uh, but Kenny, to your point, obviously not being in the spring, um, that that's pretty tough, especially with the with the quarterback situation they have going on. But the real question I want to know is Lance Armstrong's son going to play this year? 
That's all I want to see. Did you guys see that in the documentary? <laughs> he definitely yeah. is a I don't I don't know if he's a scholarship player at Rice, but I definitely know he's on the team. That would um, be that would be cool to see him get in. Yeah. I think he's actually, they had him marked down as a fullback, so that should probably tell you about the Rice offense. <laughs> I don't know how many well, quote-unquote fullbacks there are I'll, anymore. I'll tell you this. I had an opportunity to see Rice play last year against Wake. That was one of Wake's out-of-conference games. And Wake wasn't necessarily, they ended up winning pretty decent, but in the first half, they struggled against that defense. That defense is for real, guys. I I, I will say that. As much as it's it, it's not a positive outlook on, on the team as a whole, that defense is for real. But that offense was terrible. Yeah. Like I, I mean, it was really, really bad. So, And I don't think that's going to get better this year. Now, bringing up the rear that this school went 0-8 last year in conference, 1-11, um, so similar record as Old Dominion. I think it could be argued that they were worse than Old Dominion. Kenny, for the... Uh, University of Texas El Paso, do we have any hope for 2020 or should we kind of expect the same? Ugh, I don't know. I mean, they've only got seven returning starters, but Ooh. from a team that won only one game, I don't know if new blood's a bad thing. Uh, it's safe to say Dana Demmel, who's 2-22 and in two years, is on the hot seat for sure, but the program as a whole is 2-34 and in the last three seasons. I mean, you've... Eh, I, I don't know, and, and, and even if you look at Bet Online, you look at Vegas, they're they're over unders one and a half, and I literally bet the under. That's what I took this year. I took the under, and now because the only game I look at, they're out of conference. They, they're not going to beat Texas Tech. They're not going to beat Nevada, and they're not going to beat Texas. The only team they might beat this year is New Mexico State out of conference because I don't even think they're going to beat anybody in conference because I think. They're that much worse than everybody in conference. You know, Gavin Hardison and TJ Godwin are going to compete for the starting quarterback position. Hardison figures to have an edge after playing in a couple games last season. Uh, Quadres Wadley has shown some upside, but he missed 2019 due to injury. So I don't, you know, he looks to rebound there at running back, but who knows? The wide receiver core is really the strength of the offense. Uh, Justin Garrett and Jacob Crowning are are solid contributors, and on defense, the cupboard's pretty bare. The unit only managed 13 sacks all season. They only had 10 total turnovers all last year. Uh, Josh Caldwell and, and Caldwell and and Deron Lowe are pretty decent cornerback duos, but. They're not going to set the world on fire. I think it's going to be another long year. Uh, you know, and that's not Dana Dimmel's fault. He did inherit a ton of issues prior to taking over the team, but I they have to show significant improvement for him to keep his job, I would have to admit, after last year. And like I said, I mean, their over-under win value is one and a half, and I took the under. I'm just not sold this team's going to be that competitive. I'm, I'm looking at their 2020 recruiting class right now. They have like eight guys coming from the community college ranks. Like they are absolutely not recruiting. Well, that's that's what you do when you have anymore. to try and like, save your job is you're trying to recruit these JUCO like. guys, hoping they make an instant impact. For sure, I I would argue that that's probably one of the one of the hardest G five jobs in the country is convincing a kid to go to school in El Paso, Texas. So it certainly he's got his work cut out for him. So uh, that's the West. We got UAB, Louisiana Tech, Southern Miss, North Texas, Rice, and then UTEP. Kenny, real quick, who do you have winning the West? I have UAB winning the West, and I have UAB beating Western Kentucky in the Conference USA Championship. And here's my – its not I don't even consider it a hot take, so I don't want it to be called a hot take. My record prediction for UAB is 11-2 and two this season. Wow. That's pretty that, – that, that would be 
unbelievable for a program that wasn't around three, four years ago to be able to do that type of turnaround. Past that, how about yourself? Who do you see winning the West? Honestly, coming into this episode, I don't think I would have picked UAB, but Kenny, that's a, that's a heck of a sale. You have convinced there. me I that like UAB that. I like that. Nicely done, Kenny. All right, so that, that's kind of our previews for this. Now I'm going to introduce a new segment because, guys, Prospect 101 has another new sponsor, which is great. They're going to sponsor uh, you know, anytime on these conference, uh, state of the conferences. We're reviewing all the schools. Uh, segment called Stats That Will Impact impact the conference standings and that's brought to you by top dog analytics is your business drowning in data and doesn't know what to do with it all use that data to your advantage top dogs analytics can turn your mountains of data into actionable insights for your team by using cutting edge data science techniques giving you a crushing advantage over your competition visit topdoganalytics.com that's top dog d-a-w-g analytics.com to learn more about how a top dog analytics can help improve your business now guys some stats that stick out from 2019 that should give us an indicator on what we see in conference usc usa one and the phrase that i like to use their offense stinks, coach. In most relevant <laughs> offensive categories, the averages for Conference USA compared to all the other conferences, both G5 and P5, were the lowest out of all of them. So offensive yards, offensive touchdowns, red zone attempts, all the lowest on average. So take all the schools, average them together, and then compare them conference-wide. Conference USA is not an offensive conference at all, uh, the lowest out of any conference, so keep that in mind. Two stats that I think everybody should be aware of going into 2020, which I believe will dictate who will win this conference. The first is called average points per game given up. So that stat's pretty self-explanatory. So we we have 13 games. We give up so many points a game that the opponent scores. We ad- average them together. And then I have my average for the season for basically how many points that we give up on defense. Now, guys, last season, the top four teams in Conference USA, Louisiana Tech, Florida Atlantic, Western Kentucky, and UAB, all gave up under 23 points a game allowed. That was impressive, and those were the top four teams in Conference USA. So extremely impressive. If you can give up less than 25 points, you're going to be sitting pretty well there in Conference USA as far as your standings are concerned. Uh, Western Kentucky actually led that. They only gave up 20 points a game last year. So pretty impressive uh, for the for the Hilltoppers. The other stat to keep in mind that looks like there's a pretty decent correlation for, for wins in the league is going to be red zone defensive rank. Last year, like I mentioned, Louisiana Tech was number one in the nation for deep red zone defense and that they were number one out of all this all uh division one schools which is extremely impressive uh florida atlanta was 16th florida atlantic was 16th western kentucky was 19th in uab a little bit of the outlier they were there at 60 so about uh, close to the halfway mark but that florida atlantic louisiana tech western kentucky not only did they give up a low amount of points you know, again, that 25 or under. They were also excellent in the red zone of not giving up touchdowns and and creating turnovers and holding opponents to a field goal. Uh, other school to kind of keep a note of that did really well in 2019 um, at, at eight wins that ranked really well on this was Marshall as well. Gave up right at that 25-point mark. Um, and the red zone defense was, was extremely uh, extremely good as well, ranking 28th. So those are two defensive stats to keep an outlook on. Uh, you know, if you're out there betting on teams, 
uh, you know, take a look at these t two stats. They may give you a pretty good indicator. Uh, but as far as just kind of our picks from game to game, uh, those are two that really stuck out that had a strong correlation for how many wins that a team had. So uh, bottom line, guys, defense wins in this conference. Um, they don't score a lot of points. So if you're really good on defense, you got a chance to win uh, week in and week out. I love it, Gluss. I love when you bring analytics into into football and really kind of deep dive into what actually is conference to conference because every conference difference after I looked at some of these analytics from top dog marketing it blew my mind as far as like oh wow the, the Pac-12 if you have x stat if you're this good in x category it proved that you were well you did very well now obviously for conference USA that defensive stat it kind of makes me think hey Rice might have a chance this year Kenny Based off what you just kind of described, how Rice defense is going to be, maybe not win the conference, but if they're going to have that good of a defense, based off those stats, Glass yep. or analytics, it kind of gives them a puncher's chance out there. But it's really, it was really cool to see. A couple other things that was interesting, kind of diving into the 2019 data. Middle Middle Tennessee State and Charlotte uh, also had decent decent red zones, uh, but they gave up 30 or more points a game. So that that tells me that they gave up a lot of big plays in the passing game. So they'll have to obviously share up the defensive side of the ball and and keep it in front of them. And if that's the case, then they they may be okay. And to your your point, Brandon, it's really what this data shows you is the type of league that it is, right? And and gives you an indicator on, are they really good on offense? Are they really good on defense? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what stats matter? It's something kind of cool that, that we've been able to do and, and take a look. And again, that's credit and sponsored by Top Dog Analytics. Now, kind of finishing up the show, guys, this has been a, a marathon of a show and we're probably running over time. But anybody who listens to the show knows that we always end each of our episodes with a prospect to watch and Kenny it's your turn for this episode so who is the prospect that you should that we should all be aware of uh, and and to keep an eye on as we proceed to the 2020 season and get ready for the 2021 NFL draft so as I was doing my research for a prospect to watch today I was kind of just scrolling through some players and scrolling through some conferences and I came across and, and I'm guilty of this too of probably the most disrespected prospect in the country, and that's Hamilcar, Hamilcar Rashad Jr. at an Oregon State outside linebacker. Listen to the numbers this guy put up. 22 and a half tackles for losses, 14 sacks, and two forced fumbles last season. He, was, he led the NCAA in tackles for losses. He led the Pac-12 in sacks. He was fourth in the NCAA in sacks. And he was number two overall in, in forced fumbles. And I'm sitting here looking at the guy, and I'm like, how, do, how did I miss this guy? Oh, wait, it's because he plays for Oregon State, who's been terrible the past couple years. But he's 6'4", 240 pounds. He's a big dude. He gets after the quarterback. And I love his swagger. I love the moxie that he plays with in his mentality. Listen to what he said in an interview after the season. He Someone said, hey, are you mad? that this is how your season turned out after they had a they had a losing season. He kind of got hurt toward the end of the year. And he goes, mad? No, I'm motivated without a doubt. And the OS, it said the OSU junior has a dream of someday walking across the stage to greet the NFL commissioner after his name is announced as an NFL first-round draft pick. With the information Rashad received in December, it's unlikely – to happen in 2020 and he goes I'm not the person I'm not the type of person that wants to be the best not third round not fourth round I want to be first round second round that's not even cutting it I promised myself to be first round and I'm going to do everything this season to make it happen so if you're a Pac-12 quarterback this year buckle up because I think this guy's coming hunting 
in the for for when when you guys play Oregon State this year. And what I thought was also interesting is he didn't even make first team All Pac-12. Like what? Are, I'm sorry. What are the Pac-12 voters looking at? What are the beat writers looking at when they're when they're judging it? Because he clearly was the best linebacker, <laughs> maybe outside of the Cal at Evan Weaver. Might have been the only other guy who was better at linebacker. But he should have been he should have been first team because he was first team. All Pac-12 by Pro Football Focus. If you li- if you if you listen to it, he had 26 defensive stops against the run, so he can do both. He was, sec- was second best amongst edge rushers in the Pac-12, and he had the highest grade overall of edge rushers with a 79.2 mark. So this is this is my guy. I'm gonna keep tabs on him the rest of this uh, the uh, rest of 2020 uh, in the for the 2021 draft. His name's Hamilcar Rashad Jr. out of Oregon State. Keep an eye on him because I know Oregon State doesn't get a lot of pub, but this guy is a beast. I feel like he's gonna be that guy that walks across the stage. We're gonna look back on his college career. Everyone's gonna be like googling him, Wikipedia, and figuring out like, oh my god. Yep. Where was this guy the last three years? Like, how do we yeah, miss that yeah, stat line? Yeah, how do no, we miss it. this prospect? He, he is a little light at because he plays for Oregon like State. Like to see him add probably <laughs> a little bit more to that frame. I think if you do that, yeah. I think he's a, a for sure day, a day two, uh, potentially day one pick. Uh, but he's a heck of a player, and I agree. I don't know what the, the voters in the Pac-12 were, were looking at. They were probably fascinated and talking about Justin Herbert for the 18th trillion time in 2019. So they forgot about the other school in Oregon, unfortunately. That's my Oregon dig for the week. Yeah, well, here we go. Well, we're going to see. Also, by the way, how, the LA how great Herbert sucks. How great of a first name is Hamilcar? <laughs> like that's a tight for Hamilcar Rashad Jr. Like that might be the best one of the, that might make the all uh, NCAA name list this year. It, it, it might. Yeah, it might. Holy smokes. I, I actually didn't know how to say it. I, I thought you typed it wrong in our notes. No. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought not you typed pastel. it wrong. I was like, boom. All right, on that note, again, you can always interact with the show and follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's at Prospects101Pod. We'll be posting all of our episode and content throughout the week and on the weekends. Again, we love interacting uh, with our fans. Uh, on all of those platforms. So uh, please make sure you follow it. Give us a follow on social media. Uh, Listen to us on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe so you're always up to date with our most recent episode as well. Uh, A lot of great interviews coming up. Like I said, I went over this big series that we have as we get ready for the uh, college football season. So make sure that you subscribe to stay stay up to date with that. Also, please, please, please make sure you give us a five-star review as well. It's very much appreciated. It really helps us out a lot. And continue to spread the word about Prospects 101. Again, we've gotten a lot of great feedback so far. Love hearing from our fans uh, that this concept is is working and, and that they love kind of our, our breakdown and our look at, at football through a, a slightly different lens than, than what someone is usually accustomed to when you get some of these other podcasts. So for Gless, myself... For Brandon Pastel and for Kenny Keller, we will talk about Conference USA more on our next episode of Prospects 101.